Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 101st episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. 101. Here we go. We just did our first Instagram live last night. And it was awful. I apologize. (laughs) It was not awful. It was actually a lot of fun. I don't even know what it means. I don't really know what it means either. All I know is that we got to talk to some of you and that was really, really great. So hopefully that worked out for those of you that tuned in and witnessed us not understanding advanced electronics and such, (laughs) also known as a phone. (laughs) Or my mom chiming in and saying, I can't hear you guys. (laughs) Turn up your volume, mom. Did that work? She turned it up and then... Somehow it worked. All right. I'm glad she got turned on. That's good. All right. Perfect. (laughs) But a lot more of you showed up than we were anticipating. So kind of makes us feel good. Our threshold was five. So if five showed up, we were going to do it. And if four showed up, we weren't, we were still going to do it. So there's that. (laughs) If nobody showed up, we were still going to do it. It was called a date night. Yeah, that's what happens when you've been married for a while. Those of you that are thinking about getting married, that's what it turns into. Sitting side by side. Talking to other people. Staring at ourselves (laughs) on the phone, talking to people. Good good times. It's quite a turn on. It really is. Actually, we can do live stuff over on Patreon now. So we're going to do another one over there. Because a lot of our Patreon members don't have social media. So good for you. Yeah, don't do it. I'm actually really proud of you. Be weird like us. Well, we have social media, but it's just for the podcast. Oh. We can still be judgy. You know, I want, do you know why (laughs) I want to start a Facebook account? Why is that? Facebook Marketplace. Oh, because you can buy things. You buy stuff and sell stuff. That's Someone true. told me that. They're like, oh, you can't look on the Craig's Craig's pile or whatever it's called. You got to go on the, the marketplace. And I'm you like, said, what? what was that? No, I've heard of it. I'm you like, said, oh, is that on MySpace? Man. Actually, we have a Facebook for the podcast. Do we? So you could probably just do it through that. Yeah, I don't remember the passcode or anything, but I'm sure I could figure it out. I don't even, I've never logged into a Facebook's. So I don't even know what it means. <laughs> you always add an S on the end of it. Yeah, because I'm making fun of it. <laughs> I know you are. Until I do it, and then it'll be great. All right, babe, you got some factoids for me? No. Nope. Because we're doing factoids on this episode. I do not have factoids. What? But I am going to inform you of something that is useless. <laughs> Isn't that a factoid? Kind of. Kind right. of. All right. Strangest collections that people have. <laughs> Stuff that people collect. Okay. You, that's what it, collection. I, right? I get, get it. it. Right. Yes. This was from neatorama.com. Number one, Graham Barker's Naval Fluff Collection. Oh, geez. Some people see naval fluff or belly button lint as life's little annoyances, not Graham Barker. He began collecting them since 1984 and now has the world's largest collection of naval fluff, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, Graham. I'm going to read you an expert 
expert. An excerpt. I, I don't know what it's called. Excerpts. Excerpt. And experts that he wrote. So this will make you feel better about yourself. Unless, of course, you collect naval fluff and you'd be right along with him. It was on the 17th of January, 1984, that I found myself under-occupied in a youth hostel in Brisbane. The night was steamy and stormy, too wet outside and too hot inside to do very much, and my attention drifted to my belly button. There it was. Fluff. I must have seen it before that night, but this occasion was the first time I ever picked it out and wondered about it. I became curious about how much naval fluff one person could generate... Enough to stuff a cushion, maybe? And the only way to find out for sure was to collect it and see. My first piece of naval fluff was stored in an empty film canister, and the collection had begun. You're welcome. Why is that so disturbing? (laughs) Does he take other people's naval fluff or just his own? You know what? I don't care, and I'm not going to look it up. Okay. I don't have naval fluff. Someone else can look it up. Do you have naval fluff? It depends on how the depth of your belly button cavity. Well, my belly button is really deep. So, so I don't you probably have a lot. No, I don't get navel fluff. I get like water <laughs> stuck in it. Now that's, no, now even, it's gross. I know. Well, okay. Well, even when I was pregnant, my belly button never popped out because oh. I have a long belly button. You have an innie. I have a deep innie. Okay, next. Oh, okay. <laughs> Air Sickness Bag Virtual Museum. What? Like with vomit in it? Like it's... No. Like its name implies, the Air Sickness Bag Virtual Museum is about vomit bags. Indeed, it catalogs more than 2,000 photos of air sickness bags from all over the world. Okay. In addition to airplane, Air Sickness Bag's website also has a collection of bus sickness, seasickness, and even space sickness bags. But there's no vomit in them. It's just the bag. I believe so. Okay, I find that interesting. Yeah, and it says Virgin Atlantic Airlines even held a Design for Chunks project in 2004 (laughs) where artists submit their designs to be put as a limited edition barf bag. That's awesome. And it is a website. So you could do that if you wanted to. I like that. I might do that, actually. Joseph W. Lowe... I'm going to butcher this. Lauer, L-A-U-H-E-R's handcuff collection. If you want to collect handcuffs, then Joseph W. Lauer is your man. Handcuffs.org is the website to see. Indeed, Joseph has the largest collection of handcuffs with focus on vintage ones, leg irons, nippers, and thumb cuffs on the website. Nippers or nipples? Yes. <laughs> Nipple cuffs. A nipper is a handcuff that locks only one hand, but has a handle for keeping the cuffed person under control. Oh, boy. I'm glad you knew that. Bob Toell's fish posters. Bob Toell collects posters, but not any poster, just the ones about fish, and he's got a lot of it. Currently, Bob has more than 700 fish posters from around the world. I wonder if Bob's married. (sighs) I wonder what his house looks like. Okay, this one makes more sense because this is more creepier. Medical Antiques by Douglas Arbidier, MD. He's an MD, so he can do whatever he wants. Amputation set by Ferris and Company, Bristol, 1885. That's cool. What does that mean? An amputation set? He only has one? I don't know. 
and it's on display, and that's a collection. If you have one, that's not a collection. Okay. Right? Dr. Douglas Arbidier collects old medical and old medical equipments and specializes in cased surgical sets. Oh, well, then you just answered it. His collection includes a lot of amputation saws and bloodletting artifacts, such Fun. as leech jars and such. I think he would probably be really fun at parties. Oh, here we go. This is up our alley. Barney Smith's toilet seat art. (laughs) Texan artist Barney Smith has an unusual choice of art medium, toilet seats. For the past 30 years, Barney had created over 700 artistically decorated toilet seat lids. You can check it out at unusualmuseums.org forward slash toilet. We should give him our toilet seat because it squeaks now. And so it we need a squeak. new one. You can't have a squeaky seat. No, it's annoying. Well, it only squeaks once when you get on it and then that's it. Okay. Sergei Frolov's Soviet calculators. That's exciting, right? It's, yeah, it sounds like a Soviet thing. Oh, wait, are we allowed to say Soviet Union or can we, are no, we only allowed to called. say well, that's, Russia? That's a period of time. <laughs> I don't know what we're not allowed to Ser- say anymore. Sergei Frolov's has a fantastic collection of over 150 Soviet-made calculators, as well as vintage computers, watches, and slide rules. This person said, I'm particularly fond of the old mechanical arithmometers. Arithmometers. Do that's those, exciting. Are those inserted up the anus? Yes. Oh, that's how you do math. Yep. In the Soviet yep. Union. It's a rectal... Calculator. <laughs> okay. Now this is this is just people don't have anything else better to do. Phil Miller's sugar packets. Phil Miller is a sucrologist, meaning that he collects sugar packets and sugar cube wrappers. Indeed, Phil has been collecting since 1978 when he started with the Presidents of the United States sugar packets. And he hasn't looked back since. Oh, boy. How many of those are from the Waffle House or a Denny's? I bet there's just something for everyone. A storm is blowing into Bakersfield, which is so random. We're in August, but our front door area is like a wind tunnel. So if you hear a weird windy sound, that's what that is. Maybe it's a tornado. Museum of Talking Boards. Or Ouija boards, right? I think so. Spirit boards. Sure. The Museum of Talking Boards is all about collecting Ouija Ouija boards. Boom. The site is quite neat. It explains the history of the board, theory as to how it works, as well as things you should never do or ask. Remember to always close your Ouija board. No, I'm never going to do that. (laughs) Museum of Burnt Food. Oh, I could totally enter that museum. The Museum of Burnt Food is dedicated to accidentally burnt food. Carbonized culinary masterpieces. The museum was founded by harpist Deborah Henson Conant, who recounted this tale. The museum was founded in the late 1980s one night when Deborah, no, Deborah, put on a small pot of hot apple cider to heat, then received an unexpected, fascinating, and very long phone call, as one is apt to have in the 80s. By the time Deborah returned to the kitchen, the cider had become a cinder 
and thus the first and perhaps still the most impressive exhibit, freestanding hot apple cider. And why she wouldn't just throw it away. I don't know. No, but that's pretty cool that she was like, you know what? I'm going to turn this into something different. Since then, countless other works have entered the museum, such as thrice baked potato. Why, sure, you can bake quiche in the microwave. The indestructible soy pups. I don't know what that is. And the lovely matching set of pizza toast. Uh, Okay, I don't, I don't know. You know what? Keeps the world going round. All these strange things that people do. All right, there's a bunch of these, but I'm going to finish with Weird Fortune Cookie Collection. Ever got a strange fortune from a fortune cookie? Well, it belongs in the ever-growing collection at Weird Fortune Cookie Collection. Seriously, head over there and browse their gallery. Preferably after a nice little Kung Pao chicken meal. I will do that. There's actually, I can't believe people do this. This is funny. There's actually a website, weirdfortunecookies.com. You're welcome. I just plugged your website. Good. I'm going to go check it out, actually. Thanks for the fun information, Daniel. Yeah, they're collections. So just think about that when you like to collect weird stuff, like fingernail clippings. No, that's like psycho killer. Okay, but collecting navel... That's psycho killer. Lint. That's weird. Fuzz. Well, thank you, Daniel, for that information. Oh, you're welcome. Daniel. Yep. You ready for my case? Yep. All right. This is the case of Boaz Johnson and Brittany Royal. Wow. Boaz. This case was very interesting to research because there really wasn't much information on it. And what information I could find, dates and facts were different. So I tried to use my best judgment and then just go from there. But I really felt like I needed to share this case. So I just kept going. Okay. I just want to kind of put that out there for everybody. All right. Do it. On May 28th of 2013, the sun was just beginning to rise on the beautiful island of Hawaii. Poor Hawaii. I know. Gosh, it's awful. Captain Henry Pomeroy was taking a boat full of tourists out to see the lava flow along the coast of Kalapana, located in the Puna district of the Big Island. Nice. Around 6.15 a.m., Captain Henry noticed a local fishing boat hand-pulling in their line about a half a mile offshore. Taking a closer look, he noticed that the fishermen were not pulling in their large catch of the day, but a naked human body. Oh, boy. Captain Henry pulled his boat in closer to offer assistance, and in the chaos of the moment, the fishermen threw their basket of hand line on Captain Henry's deck and took off. The captain called 911 from his boat and told the operator that there was a Caucasian woman's body floating face down in the ocean with short brown hair. She appeared to have fallen from the surrounding cliffs and must have hit her head on the rocks below, causing a large gash. She also appeared to have deep lacerations running up and down her back. The woman's body was pulled in closer to the boat while the captain and the tourists waited for help. 
After 10 or 15 minutes, a large 20-foot shark was spotted circling the body. What? If this shark was able to grab onto the woman's body, she could be lost forever or potential evidence could be tampered with, hindering the investigation into who this woman was. Thinking quickly, the captain grabbed a broom and started pushing the shark away from her. One of the tourists began recording the body of the woman and the shark just in case. Just in case the shark took her down. Right. They had the wherewithal to know that they needed to have some sort of evidence so that they could eventually identify this woman because they didn't want her just to be lost forever. Isn't that amazing? So can I back up for a quick second? Sure. There was a fishing boat attempting to pull her body in. Yeah, she was tangled in the nets of this fishing boat. And they just fled? Yeah, they just left. I think they got scared. Okay. They didn't know what else to do and... They saw Captain Henry and just threw him their line, and then they took off. So I guess this boat wasn't set up as easily as the fishing boat to be able to bring this body in, I'm assuming. No, I think it was more fear. They were just scared. And I think there is such a thing, too, when you're dealing with being on the water, making your living on the water, and fishing and stuff like that, that bringing on a dead body actually curses your boat. Or brings you bad luck, is what I remember hearing. Oh, so the Coast Guard's screwed. Yeah. Because that's all they do. (laughs) Absolutely. Ouch. Okay. But sadly, I did hear that the shark was able to get a part of her leg. Oh. I know, it's sad. At 7.14 a.m., almost an hour later, a helicopter was finally circling the tour boat. So they were able to keep the shark away from her or from dragging her entire body down into the depths of the sea for an hour. They fought with this 20-foot great white shark. You know, the scary part is that's why they can't ever find bodies at sea. It's because of the sharks. There's critters living in there. Critters? There's stuff. There's man-eaters. There's stuff with big, big mouths and teeth. Nope. And then the smaller fish and stuff eat the smaller parts. So something floating out in the ocean doesn't last very long. A rescue basket was lowered and the body was maneuvered inside and carried up into the air. I was watching footage of the rescue of her body and the shark was right there the whole time. And so they were trying to get the basket underneath her to grab her. Finally, I think it was the captain and one of the other tourists just kind of shoved her body into the basket. Oh, wow. Just to just to get her in there so that they could take her up. That was pretty amazing, actually. With this big-ass shark just chilling. Just swimming around, trying to get to her. Wow. The woman's body was flown to Hilo and taken to the medical examiner's office. The sad discovery spread fast throughout the district, and soon the case of the unidentified woman floating in the ocean was all over the local blogs and news websites. Who was this woman, and how did she end up in the ocean? Around noon the next day, a resident by the name of Sarah, or possibly Hannah, there were two different names given in two different... Sure. 
sources. Well, it was an A-H, so there. It was, yeah, Sarah or Hannah, or maybe it was Sarah and Hannah. I don't, yeah. All right, so Sarah or Hannah received a phone call from a local realtor. He had informed, I'm just going to call her Sarah. He had informed Sarah that her brother, 22-year-old Boaz Johnson, had an appointment with him earlier that day to sign the final papers on a 10-acre piece of land that he and his girlfriend were purchasing on the lava fields in Kalapana and never showed up. Oh, boy. Sarah knew that Bo would never have missed that appointment because Bo and his girlfriend, 25-year-old Brittany Royal, were so excited about the purchase. This was the start of their life together on the island. Hell yeah. Buy your property. I mean, your lava field, sort of. Your hard surface. Yeah. Sarah tried to call Bo, but there was no answer. She then called their dad and told him about the situation. He became concerned as well. Their father had just talked to Bo the day before and knew what this property meant to the couple's future. He never would have missed this appointment. Gotcha. Sarah opened her computer and started looking at local news sites. She found an article detailing the finding of the woman's body the day before, off the coast, near to the property that her brother and his girlfriend were buying. The woman was described as being in her early 30s, short brown hair, 5 foot 4 inches tall, with a slim build. Besides the early 30s reference, the description sounded a lot like Brittany. At 3 p.m., Brittany's mom, Julie Royal, who lived in Tustin, California, noticed a Facebook message from Bo's sister asking her to please call me. So she called her. Sarah told Brittany's mom, I don't want to worry you, but a woman was pulled out of the ocean close to where Bo and Brittany were living. It's probably not Brittany, but... But if she's missing, right? Well, she's not missing yet. Oh, okay. But she sounds like Brittany. I don't know. I can't imagine getting that phone call as a mom. But why would you already assume that someone is someone you know that's in the ocean? Because she was Could putting... Could be anyone. Well, yes, but she was putting it all together. Like, Bo and Brittany didn't show up to the oh. realtor's office And her body was found right off the area of the land that they were purchasing. And the description sounded like her, just really short hair and a slim build and all these things. Okay. That day just happened to be Julie's birthday. And she was surprised that she had not heard from her daughter all day. Brittany's silence on that celebratory day was now starting to make sense. Ugh. That's kind of awful. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Julie immediately called the Hilo Police Department, saying that the woman who had been pulled out of the ocean the morning before was possibly her daughter. She described to them two of Brittany's tattoos, a lily on her upper back and the words Veritas high on her right hip. The woman lying on the cold metal table in the county coroner's building had the exact same tattoos. She was Brittany Royal. Oh, jeez. Yeah, this is 
really devastating. According to Brittany's heartbroken mother, she was living near the area at a campsite on the 10-acre spot of land she and her boyfriend, Boaz, were in the process of purchasing. They were what the locals referred to as lava dwellers, people who would find an area that was spared by the lava flow, a kind of like vegetation patch, and pitch a tent and live there rent-free. But if Brittany was dead, where was her boyfriend? Was he floating in the ocean too? Huh. Brittany had been living on the big island since January of that year, so 2013, telling her family that she had finally found her home in the Puna district of the big island, the area where Mount Kilauea resided. Mount Kilauea is considered at the top of the list as the most active volcano in the world. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, it obviously is right, but... Well... It's not necessarily right. It's just the scientists don't really fight against that title for it. Okay. There's quite a few active volcanoes in the world, but this one they seem to think is the most active. This one probably gets the most press. Probably. Yeah, because it's in Hawaii. Brittany was what one would consider a free spirit and loved the less touristy area that Hilo provided. She was drawn to the dichotomy between the beauty of the rainforest and the landscape of the lava fields. When you look at the lava fields, it kind of looks like the moon. Yeah. Like a moonscape with patches of greenery and vegetation and trees and stuff like that. Brittany was a world traveler and loved experiencing new people and their cultures. By the time of her death, Brittany had been to seven countries. Her first trip was when she was a junior in high school and spent 30 days traveling around Europe. Nice. Brittany caught the travel bug and spent the rest of her time traveling to exotic locations. Brittany sounded like that girl, like that really cool girl who was just sweet and charming and the girl who could blend in with any area and just soak it all in. Just soak in the people and the culture and the food and everything. Yeah. Really that girl that we would all love to be. Just simple and just a pure soul. Yeah. That's what she sounded like to me. Brittany met Boaz about a month into living in Hawaii. I had read that they met while Brittany was hitchhiking around the island, and then they immediately hit it off. Bo was an Army reservist and had recently moved to Hawaii from Alaska. I believe he had a sister who had also moved to that area, to the Hilo area. Gotcha. Bo was outdoorsy and a naturalist, another free spirit. The couple moved quickly and soon were planning their lives together in the Puna district, so in I'm that ge- area. Sorry. That's fine. So I'm guessing the Puna district is cheaper. And it's less touristy. It's more local. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably locals and cheaper and... I don't think it's cheaper. (laughs) Well, if it's near lava fields, it's going to be cheap because... Okay. You could buy the land, but you can't get... um, Oh, you can't get insurance. You can't get loans because no underwriter will loan you money on it because no one will insure it. But you can't get home insurance either. 
right? That's what I mean. Oh, But you okay. can't get an underwritten loan without home insurance. That's oh. the problem with a lot of Hawaii. Okay. It's very hard to get insurance, very hard to get permits, stuff like that. So a lot of people are just kind of camping in a way. A lot, most properties don't have running water. They have rain catchment systems. They don't have power. They use generators, stuff like that. They do full off-grid setups. Yeah. And so you can get beautiful properties in Hawaii, especially on the big island, and it's cheap. But there's a reason. So mm. I think that's where that is. It sounds familiar. The popular area is Kona, right, of the big island. And this is like directly across the island from Kona. So it's on the whole other side. Yeah, there's different parts. I have a coworker friend who has a couple of properties there on that side of the island. But not in the Puna district. That's different. Now, Bo wanted to get into organic farming with hydroponics and was in the process of purchasing that land on the lava field with his family and Brittany to start a lava tour company. He wants to grow marijuana? (laughs) Well, I don't know about marijuana, but I know he wanted to do the organic farming and then lead these tours on the lava field. Oh, okay. That'd be cool. I'd probably do that if we were visiting. Where Bo would take tourists out on the lava fields safely and show them around. And, you know, tourists getting lots of amazing photos for their Facebook page. Sure. At this time. Sure. Charging upwards of $100 a head and taking about 200 people out on the terrain each and every day. So this was big money. That is crazy big money. Yeah. I'm quitting. I'm moving. (laughs) We're going right now. Okay. But there were a lot of locals who were doing this and some were sanctioned and some were unsanctioned. So this did tend to cause some animosity between the locals and the newcomers. Oh, I bet. After two months of dating, the new couple also discovered that they were expecting their first child. Bo seemed incredibly excited and even flew home to tell their families in person. They first flew to Alaska, and then they flew to California. Cool. But according to Brittany's mom, ever since the couple returned from the mainland, they had been fighting more and more. Brittany confided to her mom that she was nervous about the pregnancy and being a first-time mom, causing some tension between Brittany and Bo. And they're also living out on a lava field. They're camping. They're camping. They're basically living like homeless people. In a beautiful location. Okay. No, I know. But if you take that away, they're basically homeless people living on the side of the road in L.A. or Bakersfield. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're living in tents. And she's in her first trimester. Oh, God. Camping on a lava field. Nope. Where it's even it's even hotter on a lava field, and it can there's be. no water, and oh gosh, yeah, it's um. There's a reason, like I said, there's a reason that land is cheap. That's true. And he was probably doing the whole tour thing, which is really good money, but it's very sporadic. Well, he hadn't started the tour thing yet. Oh, because he hadn't bought the land yet. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So they were just living out there. Okay. I had heard they were living on the land that they were going to purchase, and then I had heard that they had just found an area and just started camping there. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. Like, this case, there's not too much information, and the information that you do find kind of contradicts other information. So 
I just really wanted to get Brittany's story out there. But yeah. on May 30th, the couple's campsite was located by local authorities. It was tucked away among bushes in the area surrounded by the lava field about 20 feet from the edge of the lava cliffs above the area where Brittany's body was found. They found a zipped up tent with a cooking area, a cooler, and some large bottles of water. Drag marks were found in the perimeter search leading from the campsite through the hard lava rock and over the cliff. Oh, that's not good. On the rock was a white substance. It looked like skin. Oh, jeez. I know, I know. A warrant was quickly granted for the inside of the tent. Bo's backpack, cell phone, and ID were found, including Brittany's purse and her cell phone. So everything was still there. For both of them? For both of them. Oh, that's weird. Because we know where Brittany is. Right. But we don't know where Bo is. Or Boaz. Boaz. <laughs> That's an odd name. I kind of like it. Huh. On June 1st, Brittany's autopsy results were in. She was in her first trimester, about 10 weeks along in pregnancy. Uh. Brittany had been strangled to death with some sort of ligature. A black nylon cord had been found in the couple's tent. It was analyzed and was a perfect match to the markings on Brittany's neck. Plus, eventually, they found her blood and tissue on that cord. So that was the murder weapon. And that's where she was murdered. That's where they believe that she was murdered by the tent and then dragged to the edge of the cliff and thrown over. That crime scene actually said a lot about what happened to Brittany but there still was not anything indicating where Bo could be. It appeared that Brittany had also fought back against her attacker. She had skin under her fingernails. The samples were sent away to gather a DNA match, but that takes weeks. They couldn't get it right away. And the question remained, where the hell was Bo? They're on an island. Because where would you go and leave your cell phone, your ID, all that stuff? There's not much you, you can do on an island without your ID. You there's, can't get off the island without your ID. There's not much you ID. can do anywhere no. without any of that stuff. No, that's true. According to the investigators, he was a suspect, but Bo's family knew that he would never have hurt Brittany and especially not the baby. He had to have been a victim as well. Within days, the island and especially the residents of Kalapana were buzzing with theories and tall tales. They are known as the quote-unquote coconut wireless, which is our version of keyboard warriors. Huh. All right. They have I like their own it. little title. Sure. I know. I think, <laughs> I think it's great. Hey, I like coconuts. And wireless. Sure. The most popular theory being that Brittany and Bo were murdered for trying to purchase land for financial gain on the lava fields of Kalapana. Heaven forbid you make money on something. But if you're taking money away from locals who okay. are doing the same well, thing and you're a newcomer to the island, if you can build I a can better mousetrap. But I can see why people would get pissed. You can get pissed, but you shouldn't kill people over no, it. No, of course not. No, yeah, we're alleging that. 
The locals were also worried because people were starting these tours in an area that they were not familiar with because they're not locals. Oh. And it was dangerous. The crust in some spots was very thin. And if a tourist was injured or fell in a lava tube and died, all the tour guides and companies would be shut down, losing their income. True. That's what the main worry was, was that one of these newcomers was going to come along and not know the area and not know those lava fields. And then somebody was going to get hurt or die, which I understand. Yeah. One such tour guide, Sam, was being named in the blogs and message boards. His family had lived on the island for generations, and he was not happy about Bo purchasing the land and was extremely vocal about that. Sam came down to the station on his own after finding out that he was being named by the local residents as a possible suspect telling investigators that he was vocal about his issues, but never touched the couple, even agreeing to a polygraph exam. And he was cleared. He passed that polygraph with flying colors. That has Which, whatever, it has no, no bearing. Yeah, that's nice, but whatever. <laughs> Other armchair investigators were saying that Bo had refused to pay local tour guides $1,000 a month in kickback money. Oh, that doesn't surprise me a bit. Mm-hmm. I bet they got a little little bit of a local uh, Hawaiian mafia going on there. Oh, absolutely. Of course. Members of the community began seeing Bo everywhere. Dive bars, hostels, and even at the airport. Every lead was investigated, but always eventually hit a dead end. So where the hell is he? That's the million dollar question. Well, hundred grand anyway. Well, (laughs) Bo's phone records were finally available. At around 8 a.m. on the morning Brittany's body was found, someone had answered Bo's cell phone and had a short phone conversation. Okay. The number belonged to a local named Kalapana Ed. He was known as an island character, (laughs) character in quotes. Ed was interviewed and said that he had heard that a woman's body had been found near where he knew Bo and Brittany were camping. He called Bo, and Bo answered, saying that they were fine, and Brittany was right there with him, and that they would be heading to the realtors in Hilo to sign the land purchasing papers. But Ed never heard or spoke to Brittany. He didn't hear her in the background or anything. He just spoke to Bo. So... The time of that conversation, she was dead. They had just pulled her out of the water. Okay. So clearly Bo was lying. Or it wasn't Bo who answered the phone. Yeah. Wouldn't character Ed know that? He would probably hear the familiarity in the voice. Yeah. And if you were a murderer, why would you answer the victim's phone? I think that's like killer 101. Yeah, I I wouldn't. I mean, in theory. In October of that year, strange posters began appearing around town. The posters said, You killed Bo on the lava. Confess to a priest. And another one said, Who killed Bo and the baby? What? And there were a few others. Someone just started hanging these posters around town. All right, so here we go. The DNA under Brittany's fingernails came back as a match to an unidentified white male. 
So this could be Bo, but they needed his DNA and they didn't have it. Oh. Now they remembered that he had been in the military and after many search warrants issued for his military records and DNA samples, they were able to gather them. After many weeks, it came back as a match. Bo had attacked Brittany. Bo was the skin that they had found under Brittany's fingernails. And he also has not shown up for military service, right? Because isn't he still in the military? No, he was already he was out, out of it. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. All right, never mind. But it takes forever to get DNA samples from the military. I would imagine. You have to get a ton of search warrants, which I guess I don't I didn't even think about all that kind of stuff. Well, it's completely different jurisdiction. That's true. So the the military thing is a whole different world unto itself, sort of. Okay, so where is Bo? Turned out, Bo was still on the island. So what the hell was he doing? Just hiding? On January 2nd, 2014, seven months after Brittany was murdered, and almost a year to the date that she had arrived on the island for the first time, A man was hiking at the end of Highway 130 and wandered off into a wooded area about two miles inland from where Bo and Brittany's campsite was located. He saw the remains of a human hanging from a tree by a black nylon cord, the same cord that matched the ligature marks from around Brittany's neck. It was a skeleton with clothes on, not fresh. It had been there for a while. There was no identification, but found in a plastic bag and wrapped in a tarp was a black composition notebook with a three-page handwritten letter inside written two days after Brittany was found, signed by Boaz Johnson. And he had admitted to murdering Brittany and their unborn baby. What? So he hung himself? Yep. Bo wrote that on the night of May 27th, the couple had gotten into a heated argument and that both became physical. She told him that she was leaving him and getting rid of the baby. As she was walking away, he became enraged and lost it, strangling Brittany with that black cord. Bo dragged her to the edge of the cliff and threw her body into the shark-infested waters below. This is Bo saying this. So Bo could say whatever he wanted to. This doesn't automatically mean that this is truth. Yeah, that's a good point. He could write anything. He could write anything. He could say that she said anything or that, you know, it was an accident. I mean, obviously, he didn't say it was an accident, but he could say anything he wanted to about Brittany because there's no one to prove him wrong or prove it to be false. Although with the skin under his fingernails and all that, I mean, seems pretty logical. Right. Like He obviously attacked her. I'm just saying that the heated argument or that she told him that she was going to get rid of the baby. The details. The details. He could have made the whole thing up about the details. Okay. But what would she have to do? What would cause him to be willing to strangle her and throw her off of a cliff? Well, that's just the thing. If she's saying she's going to leave him and get rid of the baby, and then he chooses to strangle her to death, he in turn is killing the baby. Yeah. So he had to be enraged over something. Yeah. It wasn't like she walked up to him and said, 
hi, I want to have adult aerobics. And he's like, I'm going to throw you off the cliff. Yeah, they obviously got into a fight. And they had found empty alcohol bottles around the campsite as well. So there could have been some alcohol involved in the whole thing. Now, it is a three-page handwritten letter. I could not find this letter. I couldn't find pictures of it. I couldn't find it all written out. I don't know. I I would have loved to have read it to you guys, but I couldn't even find it. I just could find kind of the Cliff's Note version of what he wrote. Yeah. So Bo made a mistake answering his phone, realizing that he had said that Brittany was with him after her body had already been found. They believe that he knew he had made a mistake. And it is also believed that he was hiding in the thicket while police were inspecting their campsite and knew that his life was over. Gotcha. That makes sense. And then he writes that he had three choices. He could become a fugitive, go to prison, or die. So he chose death. I I mean, I guess so. I don't know. It would be tough to get off that island with no ID. It's doable, but it would be tough. And there were quite a few people who had called in and said that they thought they saw him at the airport. But he didn't have any identification with him, so he couldn't have gotten on a plane. And there's also CCTV footage of someone who looks like Bo at the airport. But this footage was taken days after he had already killed himself. So it wasn't him. But they were just looking anywhere and everywhere that people said they had seen him. Yeah, if he had resources, if he had you know, stuff like someone to help him Mm -hmm. or just money, then he could kind of change his appearance, maybe get a fake ID, things like that, get off the island. And he did have a sister on the island. Yeah. But she would have ratted him out, though. Maybe. But he didn't go to her for help. So she was in the dark like everybody else. But I don't think that Boaz's family believes that he killed Brittany. That's the impression that I get from the things that I read. I think they honestly believe that he and Brittany were murdered for trying to purchase that land. So they want to believe that it's the stereotypical native islander Hawaiian people that were mad. Right. Okay. How do they think he got her DNA under his nails? That's a great question. And maybe that he was forced to write that three-page letter. But anybody who's been forced to write such a letter before they've been killed, it's a very short little blip that they're forced to write. Or the attacker has written something on the computer and then they're forced to sign it. Right. But not a three-page letter. It also wouldn't sound like that person's writing. Even True. if they wrote it, it still wouldn't it wouldn't make sense. Any way you slice it, this is gonna be really sad. Yeah. Brittany's ashes were scattered in the ocean a few weeks after her murder. I saw a video of it and it was incredibly moving. Her family all wrote sweet messages to her on this biodegradable envelope looking box. And after placing it in the ocean, surrounded by flowers and lays, dolphins began circling the boat and making their presence known near Brittany. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Better than sharks. Well, yeah, it was really, really sweet to watch that. Huh. And it just made me think of um, when 
we threw my uncle in the Thames. Yeah. In the biodegradable sphere that he was put in. <laughs> and Brittany... It the, didn't biodegrade right away. No, but like Brittany, her little box like floated and they were able to say goodbye to her and all this kind of stuff. And my uncles, we threw him in the Thames and we thought it would take a while and we could talk about him and all this kind of stuff. And it just sank. <laughs> Yeah, just go bloop. <laughs> We're like, and that was it. oh, okay, bye, bye. And that's it. And it was late at night under the cover of darkness because you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we would have gotten in so much trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. A sphere. Oops. It looked like a, a small soccer ball. It looked like a bomb. Pretty much. And yeah. you're carrying this thing that looks like a bomb around yeah. London and then throwing it in the Thames. I'm surprised we weren't arrested or we weren't videoed and they found out our faces and didn't let us leave the country. (laughs) Sorry, we're turning this into us when this is about Brittany, but um, that was what that reminded me of. Yeah. And that they had that sweet moment with her. And I'm just really glad that they did. Once again, my thoughts and prayers go out to Brittany's family and friends, and I hope people will remember Brittany as that girl that we all wish that we could be, which is brave and loving and just kind to everyone. She was just a cool chick. Yeah. And it's really sad that she's gone. It's too bad that she, well, it's weird because she's a free spirit, and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I want to settle down with Boaz and live on a lava flow you know it's like what there was something about the area that was just so magical to her and the people and she told her mom she felt like she was home like she finally found her home and then this happens wow it's just horrible a memorial plaque was set up in the area above the ocean where Brittany's body was found like out on the lava field and it is dedicated to not only Brittany, but her unborn son that she was planning on naming Eo. She was naming him after a Hawaiian hawk that is only found on the big island of Hawaii. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So they found out that she was having a baby boy. Oh, boy. So. Oh, that's sad. I know. Fun fact. Oh, good. You ready for a fun um, fact? Yeah, it's something. Maybe we shouldn't call them fun facts. Maybe we should start calling them interesting facts. Just do a fact. Okay. Mount Kilauea has been erupting continuously since 1983. Its longest inactive period was from 1934 to 1952. Mount Kilauea last erupted on January 5th of 2023 and lasted till March 7th. So just recently. That's fun. A lot of fun. <laughs> so I'm wondering if there was these lava flows where people were thinking about buying and then now they've, they're reactive flows. They just continuously wait for them to cool and then they can start taking people out in these certain areas again. Wow. Would you want to go see that? Absolutely, I would. Okay. But I would want to go with a local tour guide. Somebody who's been doing this for like 20 to 30 years. And I'd bring a really long prod walking stick. So you can stick it in so you don't fall on a lava tube. Well, I didn't read that anybody has died on any one of these tours. I think they're pretty safe. I think these guides know what they're doing. I would think so. 
So, Daniel, what did you think of my case? Okay, two things. Okay. Five. Two. <laughs> um, number one, don't go swimming in the ocean. There's sharks. No. God, and the, no. And they'll eat you, dead or alive. <laughs> uh, number two, don't camp near cliffs because mm. um, your other person might get mad at you and push you off of it. I think those are two good suggestions. Yeah, that's that's it for now, I think. Daniel the Wise. This was a sad one. This yeah. was really sad. And I'll post pictures of Brittany. She just, when I say she's that girl, you guys are totally going to know what I'm talking about. Just that really awesome chick. The that one that shows up to a party or any place and is just instantly friendly and knows everybody. and Absolutely. Yeah. Just makes you feel comfortable no matter where you meet her. Ugh. It's another one. Lo another one that puts a lump in my throat. Mm -hmm. My information for this case came from the articles that I was able to find. And there's a City Confidential episode about Britney's case that I watched that was really good. And it kind of went into the whole Lava Tours and the Pune District. And I learned a little bit more. So that's that was cool. That was good. I paid a dollar ninety nine for that episode. I saw that on the credit card statement. I was wondering what that was. I was surprised you didn't ask me. <laughs> we are not rich. <laughs> you can't be just willy nilly. I had to. I needed more Gosh. information. Something was telling me I needed more information. Right. So I found some. Fair enough. Hey, those of you fabulous Patreons out there, we want to thank you so much. And we want to extend our thanks to Brandy R. It's a new Patreon. And Cindy C. Thanks, Cindy and Brandy. Morgan S. Thanks, Morgan. Got a Monica M. Thank you, Monica. Catherine R. Thanks, Catherine. She's from Bakersfield. Well, then you're just amazing. <laughs> Even more better. And Megan B. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you guys so much for supporting our little show. It helps a lot. It helps pay for those $1.99 episodes oh I have gosh. to buy. Yeah. No, thank you for joining the dysfunction. And we hope you're loving it and having a good time like we are. Yeah. If you are interested in hearing more from us during the month, go check out our Patreon. So you go to patreon.com and you type in Till Death Do Us Part podcast and we'll pop up. And we have three, soon to be four, spinoff shows over there each month. So you'll get a little bit more of us. If you can put up with it. If not, just... Don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any case suggestions for me, please email us at tilldeathdoespart at att.net. And if you have any factoids. Yeah. If you have any suggestions for factoids or let suggestions us know. for factoids you never want to hear, like ever, <laughs> say, hey, there's this could be a factoid. Please never do it. Oh, okay. That would be funny too, because then I would really make a point of doing it. Oh, boy. We're also on Instagram, Till Death Do Us Part podcast. That's mm -hmm. really all we're on. That's it. That's it. If you are really enjoying us and you've listened to us for a few times, would you please go rate and review us over at Apple Podcast or over at Spotify or wherever you listen? That really helps us out, I guess, for some reason. Yes. It's nice to read those reviews. 
when they're nice. If they're not nice, then I make fun of you on social media. That's what it's for. That's exactly what it's for. All right, are we good? That's it. Sorry if we spoiled your soon up-and-coming trip to the big island of Hawaii. Oh, I think all of us need to stay home for a little while. Yeah. Let them kind of recuperate. Yeah, that's kind of just the most awful thing ever. Yeah, so say a little prayer for Maui. Poor Maui, jeez. Say say some prayers for... There's a lot of it's, things going on right now, so... It's still... We need some prayers. In the middle of it right now. I mean, that's how horrible it is. Oh, goodness. Anyway. Be careful. Her marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wants to just walk away and leave you, just let them go. Yep. It's okay. Just let them go for a while. Or forever. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>